0: I'd like to draw your attention now to the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 27, and uh, we're going to read out of Matthew 27 and then a few verses out of Matthew 28. Matthew 27 and verse number 50, the Bible says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God." And then as we pick up in chapter 28 and verse number 1, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake, and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. We have two different incidents that take place, first of all, at the crucifixion we find that the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Now, that had uh, certainly some significance. It was showing to the Jewish people that the way to get to God was no longer through the Levitical sacrifice, but that Jesus, as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, that Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy, and now, through Christ, we can go directly to God. But we read there that when that happened, when Jesus was on the cross of Calvary, when he gave up the ghost, there was a great earthquake in the land. And then we just read that here at the resurrection, when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary show up at the sepulcher, that the stone, when it was rolled away from the sepulcher, that there was a great earthquake that took place then. And so I want to preach to you this morning on the aftershock, of the resurrection, join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for the resurrection, Lord, that the grave could not hold you. You died for sin, but it wasn't yours; it was ours. We thank you, Lord, that you had the power uh, to uh, to resurrect from the grave, and Lord, that death could not hold you. We thank you that because of this resurrection message that uh, salvation can be preached to the entire world. We're so grateful for that. We ask your blessings upon uh, this message here today for all of our listeners and families. We ask a special blessing upon them. We pray, Father, that though we are not gathered together in a church building, we pray, Father, that this would be a special, very special Resurrection Sunday for each and every one of us. Touch our hearts today today. Help us to see you and, to, uh, Lord, to to get our minds and our hearts uh, where they belong. And, Father, just bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. According to Wikipedia, aftershocks uh, sometimes are just as hazardous as the main earthquake itself. In fact, aftershocks may be so strong that they can be stronger than the main quake. While foreshocks occur around the same time as the main quake, aftershocks may not occur until days or even weeks later. They generally come from the epicenter of the quake. Now, as far as these spiritual events that we're looking at, obviously the epicenter is the cross of Calvary. That earthquake that took place there at the cross of Calvary, it took place when Jesus died on the cross, but then three days later when he resurrected, there was an aftershock. And I believe that uh, for the last 2,000 years that that aftershock has continued. Now the term shock is a, a term that describes the body's uncontrollable after effects over some type of trauma. I can remember when um, 9-11 took place, when my wife, I was outside uh, plowing with a tractor, rototilling, I should say, and um, she came out, and she stopped me, and I came over, and she said, you got to come see this, and so I took my muddy boots off, and I came into the house, and I'm watching the, the the tower on fire. At that time, there was just one that was on fire, and I remember the feeling of shock like, this is not real. I, I I don't really believe that this has happened. Surely this is some type of a special effect that's taking place on a TV screen. When you think about earthquakes and you think about special effects, you know, in many ways, we have become jaded to uh, disasters and to events like this because of Hollywood. Hollywood can do so many things by way of special effects. You've ever watched some of the older movies, they had to try to try to make everything happen. They didn't have the digital ability and boy nowadays they can make anything appear so realistic through uh, computers and so forth. 5 years ago in one of the James Bond movies, they had a Guinness Book of World Records explosion, uh, the biggest explosion that's ever been produced on a movie set. And according to um, uh, Guinness Book of World Records, the movie producers used 2,000 gallons of kerosene, 300 detonators, 24 explosive devices, not to mention a mountain of dust and debris in order to produce this explosion so that people can see it. But folks, obviously, no matter what kind of explosion that we produce, it is nothing in comparison to the effects of an earthquake or the aftershocks of an earthquake. You know, earthquakes can bring rocks tumbling down. Earthquakes can produce tsunamis that can destroy literally thousands and thousands of people and property and so forth. An earthquake is a tremendous, powerful thing. Uh, Just a, a, a few weeks ago, I'm sitting in my recliner. It's late in the evening. I get a text message from my sister in Idaho She said, we just had an earthquake, and I believe it was a a Uh, 6.4 or 6.7, I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, right uh, in the center of Idaho, there was an earthquake that took place, and she said there was no damage, we're very thankful for that, but she said that the, the house, it was like you take a box and you just shake it, now the earthquake, the epicenter was um, you know several hundred miles away, and yet it still shook her house, folks. I believe that the aftershock of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is still continuing over two thousand years later. Now, the first aftershock uh, that I want to talk to you about here this morning is the aftershock of emotion in Mark chapter sixteen. And verse number 1, it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. So here they are in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about 3,800 feet elevation, a very dry, arid climate. Now, I don't know about you, but I love early mornings. I love the crisp, uh, dry air in the mornings. I I know sometimes, I know in Idaho, we were higher elevation than here in Statesville. And the first uh, July and August that we lived here, I remember early in the morning, I'd get up and I'd think, man, I'm going to go out on the porch and read my Bible. And I would expect to open the door and find that crisp, fresh air to breathe, and I'd open up the door, and it would be humid. You know how August and July can be here in the South? And that was just so, in my mind, I expected it to be one way. As I picture here in my mind, these two Marys, there at the tomb of Jesus Christ, and the sun is just getting ready to come up, and boy, nothing can be more refreshing than that sun just barely starting to come up. The air is crisp and clean and pure. It reminds me of here uh, several years ago, a couple of the families here in the church invited uh, me and my wife uh, to go down and join them at a high-rise condominium in Pensacola. And I remember getting up early in the morning just as the sun would start coming up in the distance. What a beautiful sunrise it would be. And we're up, I think we're 20 stories up Looking right out over the ocean and I had some great memories there of sitting out there on the back patio opening up my Bible and having my devotion and being able to see that horizon of ocean and feel that crisp clean air. What a, what a, what a refreshing thing that it was. And I think about the two Marys here at the tomb and how that the atmosphere around them was so refreshing, but they weren't experiencing any of that Refreshing atmosphere, because you see inside, inside their heart, in their emotions, they were experiencing the aftershock of the death of their friend, their mentor, their teacher, their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We find here that they are experiencing grief, and grief can be such a powerful, devastating emotion. It says here that they were bringing spices to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. We read in John chapter 20 and verse number 11, it says, "...but Mary stood without at the sepulcher." Weeping. These are not just a few tears that are running down their, their eyes. This isn't just a tear that's welling up in their eyes. These are, this is weeping as they approach that tomb and they're reminded that inside of that tomb is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and those emotions, the aftershock of Calvary's cross and their Savior's death is just overwhelming them with grief i can imagine in my mind that their eyes were swollen from weeping i'm sure that they had uh, they had lack of sleep and they were weary and probably their faces if you were to see them you would see that it looked like they had aged 10 years i know grief can certainly put on age to your face we find in verse number 3 of mark 16 and they said among themselves who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? So not only, folks, are they grieving, but they're also worrying. How are we gonna get somebody? Who's gonna roll this stone? Because, folks, this is not, this is a huge, massive stone. It doesn't just take one or two people to roll this stone. It takes a number of people. And so they're worrying about what's gonna happen. I think in the day that we live in today with the coronavirus scare, I think that every one of us understand what worry is all about. People are worrying about so many things. Worrying about catching a virus. Worrying about getting in trouble for visiting a relative. Worrying about not having toilet paper. Whatever the case may be, it seems like people's lives today are so typified by worry, worry, worry. It is such a powerful emotion the aftershock of calvary is causing the, the the emotion of worry in the hearts of not only these two marys but no doubt all of the rest of the disciples in verse number 4 it says and when they looked they saw that the stone was rolled away for it was very great and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right uh, side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. What does it mean to be affrighted? It means they were afraid. I guess this King James Bible is written in 1611 English. It says they were affrighted. I can I can see uh, as the the translators are putting. Oh, I say. They were affrighted, and uh, I I can just uh, picture that in my mind. They were afraid, if you will. And so, once again, the aftershock of emotion is overwhelming these two uh, lady followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we continue to read in verse number six, and he saith unto them, be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. Now I want to stop right there. Notice that the angels said to tell his disciples and Peter. The first time that I read that, I thought, I wonder why the angels said it that way. I wonder why they, they treated Peter separately. And at first I thought, well, maybe because Peter had not become converted, as Jesus had said. Jesus said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother." Maybe Peter's heart wasn't right with the Lord yet. Maybe the angels didn't view him as a disciple any longer. But as I thought about it more, and I thought about the grace of God, I thought about how that more than likely Peter was mentioned because of his betrayal and because the angels... They viewed Peter as a disciple, but perhaps maybe they were worried that Peter wouldn't see himself as a disciple. You know, a lot of times, folks, we, we fail. We, we sin. We make mistakes. But I want you to know that the grace of God, He is so forgiving. I was thinking in our men's prayer meeting last night as I was talking to the Lord, I began to thank the Lord for His kindness. I thought, God, you are such a kind God. We think about what he puts up with with us and how he's so long suffering and patient and forgives us when we repent when we ask him doesn't matter how many times that we've messed up doesn't matter the magnitude of our mess ups he is such a kind and loving and forgiving god and no doubt peter probably thought oh i've blown it there's no way that i can get back on track my life is going to be useless and here the angels, they said to these ladies, go and tell his disciples and don't leave out Peter. Don't make sure that Peter understands that he's still classified as one of the disciples. Notice now that the scripture goes on to say in um, verse number eight, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. Watch this, for they were, they trembled and were amazed Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. When we think about the aftershock of emotions, we find that here they are trembling. They have this amazement and this fear that's going on. Now, uh, when you start trembling because of fear and amazement, it is, it's an overwhelming effect. I think of one time we were at uh, Brother Runyon's. This was actually before Sister Lynn and I were married. I was spending uh, some time over them at their house one evening, and uh, I went to go get something out of my car. I don't even remember what it was at the time. And I was parked just a little ways down the street, and I had to walk by a car that was parked on the side of the, the street in order to get to my car. Well, I didn't realize it, but on the other side of that car, the neighbor's black lab was laying there asleep, and as I walked by, I startled that dog, and that dog jumped up and barked at me, and I'm not kidding you folks, um, I, I, I turned around and I started yelling at this dog. Now, I didn't even think this through, that was probably the dumbest thing that I could do. And so I I screamed at this dog, and then I turned around and tried to get into my car, and I looked around, and the dog was running, going the other direction. So I think I scared the dog as much as the dog scared me. But one thing I do recall, as if it happened yesterday, is that my legs and all of my body just was shaking uncontrollably. That adrenaline rush and that fear caused that aftershock, if you will, that just it it took me probably an hour before I felt like that my heart rate was normalized because of the shock of that sudden fear. I can imagine that as these two ladies have seen this angel and they've they're they're being overwhelmed, they came to anoint the body of Jesus with these spices They're worried about how they're going to get into the tomb. They find the stone rolled away, and then they find that Jesus isn't there. But an angel has told them that He is not there, for He is risen. Verse number 9, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Now, I, I like that word first, because Mary Magdalene as we see here, was a woman whom Jesus had cast out seven devils. I mean, before she found Jesus Christ, before she met him, her life was about as messed up as it could be. But when Jesus showed up, he cast out those devils, he helped her, he healed her. Yes, he saved her. And no matter how far down in the pits of sin that her life had been, she now was a follower of Jesus Christ and had experienced the forgiving grace of God. And because of that, here, Jesus in His resurrection, the first person that He shows Himself to is Mary Magdalene. What a joy, what a blessing to know that God forgives that completely. And in verse number 10, it says, She went and told them... "...that had been with Him as they mourned and wept." Here the disciples, three days later, are still weeping and mourning. The aftershock of emotions after the death of Jesus shows how much that He is loved by those who know Him best. You know, there are a lot of people, when you talk about Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and His resurrection, it's something that, oh yeah, I've heard that before, yawn, whatever, yeah, everybody knows that. But listen, folks, if you know Him, and you have experienced Him as your personal Savior, and you've seen what He can do in your life, the more that you know Him, the more that you're going to love Him. You know, people aren't like that. There are a lot of people, the the closer you get to them and the more you get to know them, the less that you love them. But Jesus is not that way, folks. The more that you get to know Jesus, the more that you're going to love Him. And we see here that these disciples, these that knew Him best, they were devastated with an aftershock of emotions as they're weeping and grieving and worrying. And yet I think about if you just turn the clock back uh, maybe several years, we find that Jesus, when he was still alive, you know, he predicted that after he died on the cross, that there would be laughter. Now, I guarantee you, they were not thinking about what Jesus said at this point. In Luke 6 verse 21, blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now for ye shall laugh. Jesus is predicting that in the future there's going to be some laughter. Now his disciples at this resurrection tomb they they're not mindful of this truth. Laughter, is the last thing that they're thinking about at this particular moment. I read about Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and of course, he pastored a very proper English church, and uh, Spurgeon was a very emotional man, very intellectual, but also very emotional. He had extreme bouts with depression, but what a lot of people don't don't know about C.H. Spurgeon is that he also would have these overwhelming bouts with laughter. He'd be in a pulpit, and uh, something would strike him funny, and he would just start cracking up. Uh, uncontrollably. He didn't always tell people what was so funny to him, but he would just burst out with laughter. Some of these proper English folks would criticize him for that, and they'd say, you, you've got to stop doing that. It's just not proper. Spurgeon's reply was, if you knew how many times I held back, you'd be proud of me. You wouldn't be criticizing me. And so Spurgeon, would things would strike him funny with uncontrollable laughter. You know, when we think about what God has done for us, if you're saved, God has brought you from death to life. If you're saved, God has brought you from darkness to light. If you're saved, God has forgiven you of every sin you've ever committed. Boy, if we really, if that would really sink into our soul it would cause us, no matter what we're worrying about, no matter what we're afraid of, it would cause us to laugh rather than to mourn. I find that Jesus also predicted that there would be joy. He said in John 16 and verse 22, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you jesus predicted a joy that would be constant not something that was circumstantial uh, last a couple of years ago um me and my family we got an opportunity to to golf for free at trump national over uh, right off of lake norman and as we were golfing i think it was hole number 2 it was a par 3 and uh, me and my son had teed off, and I'm sure my son had a good tee shot. I'm sure that mine wasn't. But we went down to the ladies' tees, and my daughter teed off. And then it was my wife's turn. And boy, she hit the ball, and um, the ball went out off of the tee, and it was the the, the the green was down below. And the ball landed about halfway between the tee box and the green. And then it started rolling down the hill. And then it rolled up the hill onto the green. And as we watched all this happen, the ball rolled right toward the flag. And it got closer to the flag and closer and closer. Next thing you know, it dropped in the hole. My wife screams and she yells with joy. I mean, she, she was so joyous that she fell down there on the tee box. She's laying here on her back. She's screaming in so much joy. Couldn't believe that it had happened. And we're all rejoicing with her. I think that I got, I, I enjoyed watching her reaction, her emotions, more than I enjoyed watching the hole-in-one. But you know what? That was a joy that was very circumstantial. It was a joy that didn't last. Trust me, ever since then, she hasn't always been that joyous. She's listening to me right now, so I'm probably going to be in trouble. I guess it'll be an aftershock of emotion. Anyhow, Jesus predicted a joy that would be unchangeable, unmovable. Now, let me say this about emotions. I think emotions are a wonderful thing. They certainly can be. Uh, there has been times in prayer when the Holy Spirit has produce joy in my heart, and sometimes just uh, the Holy Spirit kind of squeeze your heart and these the tears start running down your cheek as you think about how good that the Lord is. But let me tell you something that we need to be cautious about when it comes to emotions. Emotions do not produce faith. You know, sometimes, as someone once said, it's better felt than told." I can remember when I first got right with the Lord and experienced the emotions and joy of salvation, and I remember making a statement to one of the brothers in the church uh, back in Asheville. This was in the mid-80s, and uh, I told him, I said, wow, I said, I don't know if I was saved before, but I know I'm saved now. You know what the problem with that statement was? Is I was basing my assurance on how I felt at that time. You know, it's so interesting when I said that, it's like the devil spoke in my ear and said, Well, if you don't know when you were saved, then how do you know that you were saved? And you know, when I made, from the moment that I made that statement, the devil got a hold of something in my mind and heart. He got, he got his claws dug in, and it, you know, it took me almost a year to sort through those feelings and those memories and search the scripture to make sure that I was saved. I got saved as a five-year-old boy. Now, I don't remember the feelings. I don't remember the prayer that I prayed. I just remember that I, that I wanted Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I remember I was sincere and I understood what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. But you know, it took over a year with the help of the Lord and with the authority of the Scripture, to sort through all of those feelings and finally settle the fact that I was saved. But boy, those emotions can be so, uh, so tricky. In Luke chapter 24 and verse number 39, Jesus is saying to His disciples, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I Myself, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. So Jesus is right there in front of them, and they can see him, and he's even saying, you can even touch me. But notice that it says in verse 40, And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they yet, watch this, folks, believed not, For joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? Notice that phrase here, they believed not for joy. What do you make about of that? Well, I'll tell you what I make of that. That their emotions were overwhelming their rational capacity, and even though they're seeing, even though they're experiencing something, it hadn't really dawned on them exactly what had happened the truth, I guess we would say the doctrinal truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, was not sinking into their soul because of the emotions that they were experiencing. Now, once again, emotions are not a bad thing. We read in the Psalms, and uh, the psalmist talks about rejoicing and joy, and joy is a wonderful thing. But what we've got to understand is that our emotions, that joy does not produce faith. Now, faith in the truth of the Word of God can indeed produce good emotions. But the emotions are not an authority authority of any faith. Our faith has to be in the Word of God and not in our feelings. Romans chapter 10 says, Then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we see the aftershock of emotions there at the resurrection. Secondly, I want to talk to you briefly about the aftershock of the gospel. You know, not long after the resurrection and when Jesus returned to heaven, we find in Acts chapter number 4, this is shortly after Pentecost, verse number 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. You know what we've got going on here? We've got another aftershock of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The place was shaken. It says they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. Oh my, brothers and sisters, how we need more of that kind of Christianity. Listen, we're not able to assemble today But we are still, listen, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in my name. I realize that we may have a distance between us, but through technology... We are literally assembled together, even though there may be many homes and many uh, locations that are represented in this church gathering today, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. And so thank God we've got the presence of a resurrected Jesus in our midst today, and it's my prayer, it's my hope. That this place would be shaken because we need a shaking of our soul. We need that aftershock of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe God would use this coronavirus, quarantine, uh, having to have live stream church. Maybe God would use this to get us out of our comfort zone, something to be different rather than the regular routine so that He could get our attention and actually we would be listening to what He has to say. I remember the aftershock of how my life was changed by the grace of God when I got right with the Lord in 1986. Oh, folks, listen! I grew up in church, and I'd sit in the back pew, and and I just couldn't wait till church was over. I mean, I was thinking about everything else, and I had no interest in anything that the preacher had to say. I couldn't wait till it was over. But when I got right with the Lord, I, I, I when it got when the church service was over, I was disappointed. I wanted more of the Word of God. That's the aftershock of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, God had done a resurrecting in my heart. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, God doesn't give us a whole lot of details, but it's in Acts chapter number 16. And in verse number 25 it says, "...at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God." Here they are in a prison... They've got chains and shackles upon their arms and their legs, and they're no doubt leaning against a, a rock wall in a cold, dirty dungeon. They've been beaten. I mean, here they are. They're, they've got stripes, and their backs have been bleeding from that whipping that they had taken. And what did they do? I, I know what I'd probably be doing. I'd probably be whining and complaining. But oh, not Paul and Silas. They, they began to sing praises to the Lord. And the prisoners heard the, them sing these praises. Verse number 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Few minutes later, the Philippian jailer comes jumping in and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know what we're seeing here, folks? We're seeing and experiencing another aftershock of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that aftershock has continued for the last two thousand years. Wherever the gospel is preached. There's the potential for God to shake your soul and to shake your heart so that you realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. We've seen the aftershock of emotions after the resurrection. We've seen a couple of examples, and these are only a couple, of the aftershock of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my last point this morning, I'd like to soberly, seriously remind you of number three, the aftershock of the judgment. There is a judgment coming. Jesus warned us in Luke 21 and verse number 26. He said, Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Oh, listen, our whole lives are shaken right now. They're turned upside down, our routines and everything. And there are a lot of people whose hearts are failing them for fear. They're depressed and it just seems that you can, you can look at people when you go to the store. You look at their eyes and it's like there's just this numbness, this unhappiness. It's like they're, they're in shock and they are, have been stunned or tasered. And you know what, folks? Jesus warned of this, that if we, if we do not exercise faith and trust in God, then men's hearts are going to fail them for fear, worrying about viruses, worrying about the economy, worrying about this and worrying about that. I read in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 25, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, "...much more shall not we escape, if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven." Oh, listen, Hebrews is making a comparison between Jesus and the Old Covenant, making a comparison between Jesus and Moses. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, the Bible says that that mountain would quake and that there was it was like it was all together on fire and that was the the awesome power of God that showed up on Mount Sinai when the law was given. And you know, thank God Jesus fulfilled the law and because of the cross of Calvary, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the way to heaven has been opened up, and the Old Testament law was fulfilled. Praise the Lord. All we have to do today in order to go to heaven is put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the cross. We don't have to bring uh, lambs and goats and bullocks, and we don't have to have uh, all these different Levitical offerings and all these details. Boy, I... I I've read it, I don't know how many times, and I wonder how they kept track of all those different sacrifices, but they did because that was so essential as part of their salvation. Now listen, if the Old Testament, which could not produce the life that Calvary produced, if that had the awesome power of God quaking, how much more When Jesus Christ, God manifests in the flesh, when He speaks from heaven, oh listen, when He speaks from heaven, when He speaks to your soul, it ought to shake us, it ought to make our knees knock like Belshazzar when we realize that we, because of our sin, are under the judgment of God. Now, I don't have it uh, for the screen for you, but just a few verses later, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire he's the same yesterday today and forever he doesn't say he was a consuming fire but the bible says that god is a consuming fire the same kind and gracious god that i spoke about earlier is the same holy reverential god that is a consuming fire that cannot cannot stand to be in the presence of sin Are you a sinner? Do you have sin in your life? Have you ever had your sin taken care of by coming to Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross? There's a time coming in the future. Revelation tells us about a tribulation period that's going to come to this earth. And there's going to be viruses and plagues. There's going to be earthquakes and natural disasters. The book of Revelation says there's going to come a time when the water's going to be turned to blood, and it's going to be a place where this entire ecosystem is going to be a disaster. I mean, you don't have to worry about global warming. You need to worry about a time that I believe is coming up in the near future of when there's going to be a great tribulation that comes to this earth. Notice what Revelation 6, verse number 14 says, It says, "...and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne." and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Oh, listen, folks, the aftershock of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've got a few tremors that have been going on for the last 2,000 years, but there's going to be a final aftershock of the resurrection, and it's going to take place, and God's judgment and His wrath is going to fall upon all those who have rejected his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, save yourself. Don't, don't be here when that happens. I thank God that through the blood of Jesus Christ, I don't have to be afraid of this wrath of God that is coming. I believe in the near future upon this earth, the aftershock of the judgment. It's coming, folks. We need to be aware. We need to be warned. In conclusion, in conclusion, I read this about Reverend Billy Graham. He was interviewed by Time Magazine and he made this statement. He said, if I were an enemy of Christianity, I would aim right at the resurrection because that is the heart of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ What Brother Graham said is absolutely true. That is the heart of Christianity. I'd like to ask you a question here this morning. Why do you believe in the resurrection? I thought about this. Why do I believe in the resurrection? And uh, in all honesty, I'd have to say, first of all, I believe in the resurrection because someone I trust told me about it. Now, I, I trusted them it might have been a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, I trusted them, and they told me about the resurrection. You say, well, that's not enough. I I totally agree. But certainly, as a young boy, someone told me about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I believed them. Now, many of you would say, well, you shouldn't believe in something that you haven't seen, and yet you believe that Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. You believe that people landed on the moon, but you haven't seen that. You know, there are some people that think that that was a Hollywood hoax, that it never actually happened. Uh, perhaps maybe there's something that, you know, I, I believe in George Washington, but I never have seen him. Why do I believe in these things? Because somebody that I trust, That, by the way, there were many other witnesses, and I guess I should say eyewitness accounts, and the same holds true to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses of His resurrection. Not just the two Marys, not just the twelve disciples, but there were over 500 people at once that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That would hold up in any court in the land in any time period in the last 2,000 years. I believe in the resurrection, first of all, because someone I trust told me about it. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus has stood the test of time. This wasn't something, if this would have been a hoax, if this would have been something that the disciples were saying just to try to explain it all away or to justify that what they were believing in was right and everybody else was wrong, then it would not have withstood the test of time. There have been so many cult leaders, so many doctrines, so many religions over all of human history, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ has withstood The test of time. Number three, I believe in the resurrection because I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Bible not just because somebody told me that it's the Word of God because I've read it for myself. I've seen the God of the Bible. I've seen and I've seen the the justice and the wisdom in this book. I've seen the effects that this book has on the hearts and souls of men. Someone once said, the proof is in the pudding. Hey, I got good news for you. This book here is a powerful book. It is a life-changing book. It is a wonderful book. I believe that it is the very words of God. And because of that, I believe in the resurrection. And then lastly, I believe in the resurrection because I've experienced its power. Jesus rose again from the dead. Brand new life. And I think about what God has done for me. The resurrection power, I have experienced it. I've seen a time in my life when I tried to fix all of my problems. I tried to turn over a new leaf. I tried to change, and I found that I couldn't do it on my own. But when I trusted God, when I turned my heart toward Him, I experienced that resurrection power, and you can experience it as well. The earthquake, the rolling back of the stone, they did not release the Lord Jesus Christ. He had already risen on His own power. The stone was rolled away for our sake so that we could see it, that, it, that the tomb was empty, that He was no longer in there. If you're waiting for God to give you some kind of a supernatural sign, you're going to be waiting a long time because folks, He already has. Those supernatural signs took place when this earthquake and these aftershocks took place and uh, He's already done that. What we simply need to do is just believe it in our heart. In Romans chapter 10 verse number 9, the Bible says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from God. If you will believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from your heart, not just your head, but from your heart, then you too can be saved. I mentioned earlier about Text message that I got a few weeks ago about the earthquake that took place in my home state, Idaho. Back in 1980, uh, 1984, uh, it was the last week of high school. And, uh, I am, a, I'm in my high school. I'm out in the hallway right before school started. I'm hanging out with some of my buddies. And, uh, one of my friends there, he's leaning against the wall and he, he gets this puzzled look on his face. He said, Hey, Mitchell, did, did you feel that? And I go, no, what, what are you talking about? He said, I, just, I feel weird all of a sudden. And there was several, yeah, me too. And several, and I'm not feeling anything. But people around were saying, yeah, I feel weird. Well, come to find out that there was an earthquake that centered in Chalice, Idaho, not far from the one that took place a couple weeks ago. And that earthquake was so powerful that the high school that I attended, the high school, that the building that I am in, when this earthquake took place, they ended up condemning it for the next school year. Folks, I didn't feel a thing. I'm being as honest and, and truthful, I felt nothing. And you know, I think about the aftershock of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are many, many people that have experienced the power of emotion, the power of the gospel, and they have fled from the power of the aftershock of God's judgment. But there are others, perhaps maybe you're listening here this morning, that you're just like I was in that earthquake. You're too too distracted, you're too busy goofing off, you're thinking about everything else that You don't even feel the effects of the resurrection. You know what? I would say to you, you need to trust the Word of God. The resurrection is a powerful thing if you'll just simply put your faith and trust in Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank You for the listeners today. We pray, Father, that every man, woman, boy, and girl, regardless of age, regardless of mental capacity, regardless of social standing, whoever hears this message, we pray that the power of the resurrection would shake their heart. Lord, may that aftershock, Lord, touch someone's soul, and maybe someone would call upon you and believe in their heart and be saved here today. What a joy it would be to know on this Resurrection Sunday that someone got born again. Bless our people, we pray. Give us a good rest of the day today. Lord, we look forward to the time when we can be assembled together. Perhaps maybe you've got something in the future here that, Lord, that uh, you would give us a revival. Lord, a shaking, if you will. We need to be shaken. We pray, Father, that you'd bless each and every one of us. Have your will and way in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our live stream broadcast today, I'd like to encourage you, if God has spoke to your heart here this morning, why don't you just find a quiet, private place, get down on your knees and talk to God. If you're not saved, you can ask him to save you. Tell him that you're a sinner. Tell him that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that that is what you need to do to be saved and call upon him to be your savior You don't need to be in a church service. You don't need to come to an altar. You just need to have the faith to call upon the Lord. And you can do that wherever you're at. We hope that you have a happy Easter. Enjoy time with your family. And we look forward to seeing you back here in our live stream service Wednesday at 7. God bless each and every one of you.